Hi, welcome back to the Flight Test Podcast. My name is James Wormsey, and this is the podcast where we talk to people from around the world of aviation about topics that inspire. This week, I'm sitting down with the Elon Musk of the model rocket slash DIY aerospace world, who has been famed on YouTube for his mission to land a model rocket just like the full-size SpaceX boosters. His name is Joe Barnard. We talked about the value of doing science in your own backyard and the importance of hands-on learning. Just getting your hands on, like being able to do engineering and observe the changes that you make have an effect on the performance of the vehicle. Hands-on learning is, I think, the most effective way to get, um, to, to learn something. If you, if you can have a tool that you can play with and modify and work with as you're learning how to how rockets work or how an airplane works if you can um you know adjust the flight controller in your airplane and see if the autopilot works or whatever um hands-on learning is just so effective before we jump into this great conversation though um we should quickly mention that this episode of the flight test podcast has been sponsored by skillshare Skillshare is an online learning community where you can learn about anything from physics to graphic design. Within the site, you'll find over 25,000 different online courses. You've probably heard about Skillshare before, but it's really worth a look. So go on to www.flighttest.com forward slash Skillshare um, and you can get up to two months of Skillshare for free when you sign up, which is pretty good. Um, simply type into your browser um, that address or follow the link in the podcast description. Okay, back to the podcast. Um, this was a really great conversation with Joe. I learned a lot and I think you will too. So um, let's get into it. This is episode 208 of the Flight Test Podcast. Right, hello everyone. Welcome to the Flight Test Podcast. Um, today I'm joined by Joe Barnard. Um, so hi Joe, how are you doing? Good, how are you? I'm very well, thanks. Nice to have you on the podcast. Um, so yeah, why don't we start off by talking about who you are and what you do, because you're sometimes referred to as the Elon Musk of model rockets. Um, I've seen in a lot of comments on YouTube. <laughs> um, so yeah, why, why don't we, we talk about your sort of background in rocketry and what you're doing at the moment with bps.space. Sure, yeah. So um, I run, the, the main thing that I do is I run this little um, project slash company slash YouTube channel slash whatever um, called bps.space. BPS stands for Barnard Propulsion Systems. Um, kind of started at this as this little tiny project to land a model rocket propulsively in the same way that SpaceX or Blue Origin are doing. So coming down under thrust to touch down vertically softly. Um, uh, and that's like, that's, a, that's the main thing I do right now. And, you know, unsurprisingly, it's like pun intended astronomically hard to do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there's plenty, there's plenty of like development on the YouTube channel. There's just plenty of stuff to talk about and interact with people about. So, um, that's the biggest thing. I also have some some uh, just sort of fun projects that are adjacent to that. We're sort of branching out, especially this year, 
Uh, but I, I have a whole 148th scale model of the SpaceX Falcon Heavy rocket. Um, that's the rocket that <clears throat> almost about a year ago to date uh, put Elon Musk's Tesla Roadster into a uh, Mars crossing orbit. Um, I think it actually went past the asteroid belt. Anyway, <clears throat> yeah, it's a 148th scale model of that rocket, which is um, another one of those really complicated things that seems simple. Um, but anyway, yeah, so I, I guess the main thing that I do is just lots of rocketry. Um, try to build cool things, try to um, make complicated stuff work at a small scale. And I guess um, the biggest part of all of this is most of my rockets, at, at least the most complex part here, is that most of my rockets do not have fins. So um, if you're familiar with model rockets, usually they have a set of fins on the bottom, and so they can fly like darts. Um, they end up having... Uh, aerodynamic stability in the same way that, I mean, all of your planes do. I guess not like a multi-rotor, but um, <laughs> yeah. they, have, they have aerodynamic stability. So you're thinking about putting your center of uh, gravity or center of mass ahead of your center of pressure um, so that your rocket can fly stable. However, that is not how most rockets reach orbit or space. Um, so they use something called thrust vector control, where they're gimbling the motors at the bottom. They're sort of pointing them in different directions. I mean, this is, I feel like everyone on this listening to this probably understands what that is too, because thrust vector control exists in fighter jets and all sorts of other planes. Yeah, and but also anyway, in models as well. Uh, we've got yeah. like, even parts on our flight test kits that have thrust vectoring uh, kits that you can, you know, uh, thrust vector a motor. So, so you're basically doing the same sort of thing with a, a rocket motor, is that, is that right? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's correct. So I designed a thrust vectoring mount for most, um, or like a standard size of model rocket, you know, like an Estes rocket engine um, to fit in there. Um, and actually, if you can believe it, when I was when I was getting started uh, designing these mounts from the ground up, I definitely watched several times um, one of the videos that you guys did on, it was a thrust vectoring kit for some type of aircraft. But I definitely watched that and was looking at like the push rods and how the mechanism worked. Um, so, so that was helpful. Oh, that's but, awesome! That's really cool yeah, to hear that yeah. that had a that had some sort of minor uh, influence on your how your uh, systems work today. That's that's cool. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, flight test is huge. There's a ton of cool stuff in there. Anyway, <laughs> so um, yeah, there's the, the the two major components are the thrust vectoring mount, which is 3D printed out of PLA or polylactic acid, and people like to complain like, oh, you should be using ABS or like some type of better material. But I'm printing in my apartment. This is like a modest operation, so <laughs> don't want the fumes. Um, anyway, and then the second component, which I would argue is even more complex, is the flight computer. So it's all from the ground up. You know, a lot of times with like a multi-rotor or a plane or something like that, you sort of have this modular system of like your flight controller and your ESCs or whatever. Um, but all of the electronics for my rockets are totally from the ground up. So I designed the PCBs. Um, I assemble them myself, which is really not a very fun process, but <laughs> I assemble them myself. I write the, the flight software um, all from the raw gyro and accelerometers values down to the PID controllers, all of that stuff. Um, so it's all, it's all from the ground up, pun intended. And um, yeah, that is a pretty good 
that's like a pretty good overview of what happens with bps.space and what I spend my days doing and email. Lots of emails. <laughs> yeah, well, I've been sending you quite a few emails, so I'm sorry about that. But uh, to add to your <laughs> no worries at all. <laughs> um, but yeah, that sounds like quite a, uh, an undertaking, I, I suppose you could say, um, and, and a very, um, yeah, a rather big project. And so you, you're doing this full time at the moment, is that right? Yeah, yeah, full time. I mean, it is an undertaking too, but it's so much fun. Yeah. It's crazy <laughs> that this is in any way a job for me. Um, and real quick, this is, I don't mean for this to be a plug, but <laughs> the way that this can be full-time is that we sell these kits for thrust vector control and model rockets. Um, it's a fairly modular kit that you can use with a lot of rocket parts. That's one way, you know, we've got like ad revenue. And then the biggest thing right now is we have a Patreon account, um, where I give out files, like some of the more core files for people who are building things that are similar like this and sort of want to get a little help, um, Man, I can't stop with the puns, but get a little help getting off the ground. <laughs> it's all right, man. We do the same thing. Um, yeah. yeah. Anyway. <laughs> That's cool. Um, yeah, I'll be putting, for the listeners, I'll be putting some links in the uh, description of this podcast and also um, in the article which accompanies this on flighttest.com. So, um, yeah, there'll be information about these sort of uh, kits and things that um, that Joe sells and uh, provides on his website. Um over there, so yeah, I'll, I'll make sure to check out the all of that those those good things, and yeah, after the podcast and all of that. Mm -hmm. So maybe I should ask, uh, what actually got you into model rocketry in the first place, and started this whole journey that you're on today, Joe? Sure. Um, so I've been kind of interested in engineering since I was a kid. Um, I don't know. I feel like most kids really like engineering at some point, but. Um, yeah, like flew a couple of model rockets with my dad. Um, I was part of the first robotics competition in high school. Just like such a great opportunity to get kids into STEM. But anyway, um, yeah, just a, a couple engineering things as a kid. Then I went to the Berkeley College of Music because um, I wanted to do audio engineering. So that's up in Boston. Um, and after I graduated, um, realizing that I didn't really want to work in the music industry, I was sort of looking around for things to do. Um, was working at a videographer as a videographer at the time. This is like back in 2015, um, and I saw videos from SpaceX, uh, just like showing up on my Facebook feed or something. I wasn't really like looking for it, but um, I saw these videos of them doing their Grasshopper, or uh, sometimes it's the F9 Dev R. Doesn't matter. It's those tests uh, down in uh, Texas where they. They light the motor on the ground for these massive rockets. They send them up like a thousand feet. They're just like sort of testing this landing stuff before they had actually been able to do it um, from orbit or from near orbital velocity. Anyway, um, they're sort of testing these landing things. And I saw that and it totally reignited my, my interest in this type of engineering, this type of like working with big machines and working with robots. And I just... I just got like totally caught up with it. And I figured I have to work for SpaceX. I have like, I have to do whatever I need to do to get to SpaceX. And so there are a couple of options for how you could do that. Um, I kind of figured I could go back to engineering school. I could spend tons of money and four more years um, getting an engineering degree. Um, and then I would be taking a little, taken a little bit more seriously in some type of interview with them. Um, <laughs> rather than showing up and being like, I went to music school. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Which like, you know, I learned a lot at Berkeley. Uh, it just is not in a super relevant field. So yeah, um, 
or I figured, and it was it was tr- it was like actually in the shower. It was a shower idea, <laughs> but uh, I figured I could probably if like if you get the timing really right and you have enough certainty in the performance of your rocket motors, and you do a little bit of coding for thrust vector control and. You do a little bit of coding for when to burn the motor. Basically, I figured I could probably build a replica of the Falcon 9 that lands itself um, by using platforms like Arduino and by 3D printing most of the parts um, and by sort of trying to go from the ground up, like from uh, just teaching myself. And if I were able to do that, if I was able to do that, I might be able to send them a video of it or I don't really know how I thought the logistics would work here, but... Uh, somehow sent, get in touch with them and say, hey, look, look, you know, look what I did. Look how serious I am about this um, and that they would take me seriously in a job interview. So that was the original goal. That's like how it got started. Yeah. Um, and as, yeah, as I mentioned, that was back in the uh, fall of 2015. And it's like just totally spiraled out of control since then. It started as like a, a small side project and it is, um, it's like far and away a full-time job. By, by now. Um, nice. And so the goal has shifted too, because um, by the measure of like trying to get SpaceX's attention, it's definitely succeeded. Um, a couple of engineers have reached out from there, um, been through several rounds of interviews, and they just never worked out for one reason or another. Um, but I, the goal now is just to continue working on BPS. I have so I have so much fun doing this stuff, and um, I just. Like it's so it's so deeply satisfying to be like filming all of these tests and then putting them online and then interacting with other engineers online who are like suggesting changes that I can make or um, you know sometimes it's not fun to read the YouTube comments but usually they're pretty helpful <laughs> yeah 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 there's um, there's a load of of great people that you can interact with on on YouTube and uh, yeah, the, yeah you never know who's watching you know it might be Elon Musk himself <laughs> so <laughs> there's some funny there's actually a funny story about that so as you can imagine if you're like teaching yourself these things you're going to fail a lot you're going to have you're going to have a lot of rockets that don't work very well so um one time, I think in 2016, um, I live streamed. It was like it was like two years ago or something. But yeah. I live streamed this um, this test of one of my rockets. This just like test launch, and <laughs> I live streamed it, and it went horribly wrong. Like certainly in the top five or maybe top three worst <laughs> tests, worst like looking launches. Um, the, the whole thrust vector control mount was misaligned. So the rocket just like fishtailed all over the place. Um, it was really bad. Um, and my buddy who didn't, who hadn't seen any, um, my buddy who's an engineer at SpaceX hadn't seen any of the other tests that I had done. (laughs) And he saw that and he was like, Oh, look, this kid, he's almost, he's about to get it right. And like, I had had far more successful tests, but he sent it to Elon and Elon replied with, cool, he should work at SpaceX. So he, <laughs> That's amazing. he has seen it. He, Elon has seen it. He's just seen, like, some of the worst parts of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which oh, is well. a lot of fun. I'm, so. I'm sure in a few years you might be able to, you know, or, or maybe this year you might be able to, to repeat that and uh, get a bit of an update <laughs> across his desk, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, again, it's, like, not the goal anymore. But it is, it is cool. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. It's cool and, to have that validation um, and that um, recognition <laughs> from someone who's doing yeah, it yeah. on a bigger scale. Um, 
Absolutely. But so when you're saying about um, learning about rocketry and teaching yourself all of these um, these skills like coding and doing mm-hmm. the 3D printing and that kind of thing, um, what what's your sort of learning process? Do you watch a lot of YouTube videos or do you read up about this stuff quite a lot and the um, all of the technical technical things? What's your sort of your favorite way to learn? I suppose is the question here. Yeah, I mean, it's it would be really cool for me to say like, oh, well, I sit down with a nice cup of coffee and a textbook and I like get to work. But really what it looks like more is I make a massive bowl of popcorn and I'm like reading through old NASA papers like a crazy person um, (laughs) (laughs) at like 3 a.m. It's, uh, yeah, it's it's like not, um, I mean, honestly, really what it is is just like you research a bunch um, and then you find little challenges, especially when you're trying something new. I think the best thing to do is find like little tiny challenges that you are pretty sure you can accomplish. Um, so I, I just put out this video, I think you saw it, on failure and burnout, where I sort of just talk about um, these two things that basically, I mean, everyone in the hobbyist community experiences, experiences this stuff. If you get experimental enough, like you're going to have a couple of failures. Um, and in relation to burnout, um, usually it's, it's really important to look for like the super tiny wins, even if they're, even if it's like, hey, I got, I got like two new lines of code to work or, hey, you know, like all of my tolerances still might be pretty bad, but my 3D printer doesn't jam anymore or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that seems to be really important for learning something really hard. And the other thing that I should mention, I mean, this is like, there's so much good information online. There's a lot of garbage, but like, especially with coding, um, so many people put like really generously will put a bunch of code online or they'll put libraries for different sensors or things. So if you're working within a platform like Arduino where there are, I mean, hundreds of thousands of people, I, well, that's, I don't have the numbers to back that up, but there are a ton of people working in Arduino in that environment um, who are sharing their code. So it's really easy to get started there because you can, you can sort of piggyback off of a lot of people's work. This sounds disingenuous, however you pronounce that, it doesn't sound yeah. good, but like it, um, it really is a great way to get you started. Um, and it's, it's a good way to get, to make it seem less scary when you're starting. If you can start from a point of something working and then, you know, use an example sketch and then change two things and see what works and what breaks, um, that's a great way to go about it too, I think. Yeah, definitely, and and uh, that's what we're, at Flight Test we're all about, sort of, you know, working as a community to create cool projects and to inspire each other, and I think that probably goes um, goes the same way in the the rocketry community. It sounds like uh, where you can, you know, f- using sort of open source code and everything, mm-hmm. and people sharing resources together. Um, sounds like a a good time to be doing this really with the internet and uh, all of this good stuff available to us. Yeah. So you mentioned one of your uh, your more memorable launches just then. Um <laughs> yeah, yeah. So have you had uh, you you mentioned that that might have been the maybe one of the top 3. So what did the other top 2 or the the other two in that category look like of spectacular yeah. failures? <laughs> if we're talking yeah, I would love to I mean I love talking about this stuff because after like a month away from a failure, you can just think about the funny parts and not feel like pain that your engineering didn't work. So yeah, I love talking about this stuff. Yeah, um, cool. One of the worst ones too, it actually, 
All of the bad ones correlate with live streams. Um, <laughs> I don't live stream my launches anymore, no. and this is this is like kind of part of the reason. Um, in March of 2017, I think. Yeah, it must have been 2017. In March of 2017, I um, I got connected with these two um, streamers on Twitch. Uh, their names are one of them is Doss, who runs uh, Kerbal Space Academy, and the other is EJ, who runs uh, the EJ, the Eric Johnson Space uh, Program or Space Academy. Anyway, they're they're two great streamers on Twitch. They're great guys, um, and so they brought a bunch of equipment out to a test launch, um, and. It was just kind of hard to get things working. It was really cold out. Um, and I had just added this new feature to the whole launch system where the pad, the launch pad computer, um, which is controlling the countdown, and the rocket, which is looking at all of the different sensors, actually um, were hooked up via an ethernet cable. Um, and basically I just wanted the Launchpad computer to check out the sensors on the rocket and I wanted the rocket to sort of talk to the Launchpad computer and understand where the count was. So overall it's like a cool system. It's it's closer to how the real rockets work. You know, when they launch a Falcon 9, the Falcon 9 is controlling the countdown in like the last minute or 30 seconds or something. Um, so I, you know, I just made a bunch of upgrades. Um, I did... <laughs> Uh, minimal testing on the mechanical connection between the rocket and the launch pad. So making sure that, that the Ethernet cable came out of the rocket when it was time to launch, um, I did not a whole lot of testing on it. And as I mentioned, this was up in Boston, so uh, Boston, Massachusetts, and so it was very cold. In March of 2017, it was super cold, so we were out at the field. The clock hits T minus 5 or something. And at this point, it's it's a little past sunset, so it's it's kind of hard to see the rocket from you know one or two hundred feet away where we're standing with the cameras, um, and the whole thing is automated. So like, <laughs> the the launch pad um, pulls back the arm to pull out that Ethernet cable from the rocket that connects the pad and the rocket, and because it is cold, um, the plastic parts of the Ethernet cable were just too stuck together. Um, because they had like changed their size just a little bit because of the cold weather. Yep. You know, all of these things were tested in my warm apartment and this was the first time outside. So anyway, <laughs> the count hits T minus five. It tries to um, pull the uh, ethernet cable out and because it's far enough away, I couldn't really tell what was going on. It looked normal to me. The rocket lit its motor, still attached to the launch pad. And it, um, <laughs> oh, no. how, do I, how do I like describe the motion? Um, <laughs> I already used the term fishtail. That could be an appropriate way to describe it. It really just, like, it truly flailed around for about a second and a half where uh, it was still attached to the launch pad in, like, the middle of the rocket, so it's, like, upside down for a second, and it's, like, flipping back and forth. Um, so it's sort of like a, point, a, a wounded animal with uh, yeah, flames absolutely. and fire and lots of destruction happening. <laughs> yeah, there's fire. The pad is getting burned. Like, it's... It's a it's a really great event. Um, <laughs> In anyway, yeah, then yeah. It, de it detaches and it like shoots halfway across the field, okay. um, and then the motor burns out and um, and the, all of that was live streamed because these two these two live streamers were there. So like you know I don't know five or six hundred people watching online as this thing that I work so hard on just fails miserably. Um, so that was I mean that's got to be like the worst one so far. Um, that one really prompted 
Um, this is maybe a good segue, but that one really prompted me to like look at my engineering process and, and think really hard about what I wanted the project to be. Because at that point I was still, it was still just basically a money pit. Um, and I thought really hard about it and I was like, well, I had been getting several requests to make a kit and I had dismissed them all um, because it, it was just so complicated to build these rockets. I mean, it would take like a full week of all day work to um, get these things set up and then load the right flight software in. And um, anyway, but, but over time, when you work on something hard enough, like naturally you will make it better just through iterative design. So I gave that another look. I gave making a kit another look and I decided after that terrible launch, like, you know, you kind of step back and think about what is this project and like, what's the point here and what am I trying to do? And so I decided I'm going to make a kit for Thrust Factor Control. So honestly, you know, this is a common thing, but it's a good reminder that out of your failures usually come some of your best ideas because it forces you to think really hard about what do you want to actually be doing? What are your goals? Um, and yeah, so it, ultimately it was a good thing. It really sucked when it happened, but I think ultimately it was a good thing. Yeah, oh, that's cool to hear. And yeah, I feel like a lot of the time, as you were saying, when you have a failure, it can sort of clear the clear the water or like, you know, make you think a bit clearer about what the future of the, um, the project is going to be. And mm -hmm. whether you quit now, whether it's, you know, um, sometimes you, you might want to, on, a, uh, on some projects, call it a day if you, if you really can't think of where to go. But I think, uh, as you were saying there, it was, it's good that you had that, um, the, the enthusiasm to, do, to continue with it. And it's, it's clearly paid off, I think it's fair to say. <laughs> yeah, I think so. It's also really easy. I feel like, you know, I, I'll, I'll never be able to emphasize this enough, but it's also really easy for me to sit here with things going fairly well and say like, oh yeah, failure is a good thing. But man, when it happens, like, I think it's normal to feel like I never want to do this again. Um, like you leave the launch site with your tail between your legs and you're like, I never, like, why do I even do this stuff? Um, and so sometimes it's helpful to really take a long break for like a week or a month or however long you need to think about like, why do you enjoy doing this stuff? And I think, you know, ultimately it's like, you know, the hardest steel comes from the hottest fire. It seems like you, you've been doing this for, uh, for like a couple of years now. And I've seen that there was quite a, uh, you've been getting a lot of attention over the last few months. So is it fair to say that your, that, uh, BPS has, has grown quite a lot over the last, uh, say half a year? Yeah, it's bizarre. Um, it's really, really weird. I mean, like, it's it's a good thing, obviously. <laughs> but, <laughs> obviously. Um, yeah, it's it's honestly, things did not work for so long that it's just weird for me to not be stressed out about the state of BPS now. Like, <laughs> at this point, I feel fairly successful with it. And I didn't feel that way for a long time. Um, and... Yeah, it's mostly, like, it's crazy. Um, and I will say, too, like, I, I, I mention this a lot, I think, but I think it's so important to put what you do online. Even if it doesn't blow up or get crazy successful, from the beginning, I, I published test reports and I published footage. You know, even when things went wrong, I published footage. You can look way back on the YouTube channel. Some of those really early tests are, like, just 
awful. Like the, <laughs> just so, I really recommend you just like peruse the the very beginning of the YouTube channel. But anyway, um, yeah, like when you publish your work online, um, as long as you're willing to deal with like the one or two people who give you bad advice, um, most people really want to help and will give you good advice. Um, there are so many engineering decisions that I've now made, um, even when BPS wasn't like a, a, I don't know, fairly big thing, but um, I just super recommend, like get a Squarespace account, get a Wix account, get whatever you need to do, um, put a little website up with information about what project you're doing. You know, there are like, there are like, I don't know, maybe 20 or 30 projects that are a lot, that are really close to what I'm doing, except that the people aren't publishing what they're working on. And um, I don't know. I think, I think it's, it bothers me that, that people don't publish what they do or that they don't, that they don't um, put it out enough because they say, oops, sorry, I hit the mic. That's okay. <laughs> you, know, you get like, I'm going on a little bit of a rant, but you get like excuses like, oh, well, I don't have an audience or whatever. But yeah, but no one does when they start. No, I completely agree with that. And I think that, um, yeah, it's, it, it's good just to show you know, even just for yourself, it's it's nice to, to keep a record and you mm -hmm. may as well put that up on the internet if it's, you know, even if you're, um, you know, not doing anything too original or, you you know, you're just doing something that you think only you will find interesting, I'm mm -hmm. sure that lots of other people will, yeah, will, will find your work interesting if you choose to put it up there. So, yeah, I think that's that's great advice for anyone listening to this. You should definitely... Uh, publish your work, put it up on, on everything, and you know even if you don't have your own um, your own website, you can still find places to, to share your work, such as YouTube, um, and also even flighttest.com. We've got our articles on there. Um, anyone can become a, an article writer, um, so you can you can write about stuff on there. You can share stuff on the forums. So if you have airplane projects or even rocket projects, you can definitely share them there. Um, so yeah, just a little note to the listener there. If you've never uh, published an article, go and go and have a go at it because it, it might uh, pay off. It's too bad this isn't sponsored by Squarespace or something. What a great segue though. <laughs> yeah, that would be oh, well. so good. That'd be so good. Next time, <laughs> I'll have to get on that. <laughs> I have to get them to yeah. sponsor us. <laughs> so Joe, you're saying about um, that maybe other people have tried similar things to to what you're doing at the moment. Um, and I think I watched a video where you were talking of yours, where you were talking to uh, someone who who had actually tried to land model rockets. So, uh, have people been trying this for a while, or is it kind of a new thing? Um, and are you the only one who's now still sticking with it? I think the important thing to note, just so I don't come off as like super egotistical or anything, but like I'm not the first person to do any of this um, yeah. by any means. So like thrust vector control has been kind of available in model rockets for years. Um, active guidance in model rockets, there's always like people who freak out about that, but it's not illegal. Um, <laughs> but active guidance in model rockets has been around since the 80s. Um, there are people who have made little projects that, um, you know, there's one guy who, who started a lot of this stuff who uh, built a rocket that like is a sun seeker. It like tries to point itself toward the sun with fins. There's oh, this cool. uh, girl, Alyssa, who was a high school student or I think she might have even been in middle school anyway, but she took a an Eagle Tree um, flight stabilizer and converted that into a thrust vector control computer and like made a successful thrust vector controlled rocket. Wow, um, yeah. So, you know, none of the things that I'm doing are actually groundbreaking. I'm just trying to make it like a lot more 
easy and accessible for people to get into this stuff. Um, and yeah, I did mention there are, there have been, and there are currently lots of projects that are cool and that are, um, even like going well that where people are trying to land them on a rocket or they're trying to do, uh, like active recovery through a steered parafoil or something like that. Like if your rocket goes super high and you don't want to lose it, you can have it steer back to the launch pad. There's so many cool things that are going on and I just, um, I don't know. I wish people would share more of what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Same here. Th those those projects yeah. sound amazing. <laughs> the parafoil, yeah. yeah, that sounds um, sounds like some it's kind of NASA cool. concept. Uh, it's amazing. It's so hard to get. It's so hard to get the leads for that thing to not tangle. Oh yeah. Toys. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I imagine. Yeah, there's some uh, troubleshooting that needs to be done there, but yeah, mm -hmm. that's uh, that's super cool. It's it's amazing to hear about all of these. Um, this sort of new boom, I suppose you could say, uh, a new rise in, in people trying all of this stuff with the technology we now have available to us as hobbyists and uh, makers. Yeah, there's this great, there's like this great intersection that's going on between the work that SpaceX and the whole new space industry is doing, which gets people excited about space, and then the advent of like all of this stuff, all of these these people who publish their code on GitHub or that put their files on Thingiverse or whatever. Um, so it's, it's never been a better time to get into like trying to build your own hardware or trying to write your own software for complicated projects. There's so much help online. There are so many people who are willing to give you advice and um, point you in the right direction. And there's so much existing excitement in the real space industry that it's just, it's not too hard to make, to piggyback on that. For the listeners who want to get started, um, why don't we talk about some advice for getting into rocketry? So, um, yeah, d generally, do you have any advice for anyone who wants to, who's never touched a, a model rocket kit or model rocket motor before, um, and who wants to get started? Yeah, of course. Um, it, I mean, it really depends on where you're starting from. But assuming that you're starting from basically no knowledge of rocketry. I think a great place to start is a kit from Estes. Um, they sell a lot of, in the same way that they sell these for um, airplanes or drones, there's some, there's some great ready-to-fly kits, there's some great almost ready-to-fly kits, and then there's some kits that require a lot of assembly. So I really recommend getting started with like a ready-to-fly or almost ready-to-fly kit. And if you wanna get into the super advanced stuff, um, like if you wanna get into building your own flight computers or something like that, I actually, um, Oh boy, here we go. I'm going to plug more things, but <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> I'm actually trying to make this a lot easier. So I have a whole series on YouTube. It's several hours at this point of content. Um, I have a whole series on YouTube called Landing Model Rockets uh, on the BPS YouTube channel. And um, the idea is like, if you had no experience with this, I mean, maybe minimal experience in some engineering field, but if you had mostly no experience in this, like how would you go about specking out a rocket to try to propulsively land it? How would you go about designing a flight computer or designing your flight hardware or, you know, all of these different things? What type of motors would you use? Um, so that's, I think that is becoming a good resource. It's, it's certainly like in the works, but there's definitely a bunch of content there. I also recommend um, there are some great communities online that will help you get started, especially if you have questions, um, even basic ones. Like most people are really nice and just want to help. Um, so there's a rocketry subreddit, uh, just reddit.com slash r slash rocketry. Um, usually they're pretty helpful there. 
or um, the NAR, that's the National Association of Rocketry, the Facebook group there. If you have questions, lots of people are going to be happy to help you there. But my main advice is grab a, grab a kit, fly a couple of rockets, don't have like super big expectations for the beginning. Just start working, you know, work your way slowly up. Um, I think that's a great way to minimize your failure at the beginning too, <laughs> yeah. um, is to start with just little incremental changes. Like, you know, start with a small Estes kit and then maybe try to build a small altimeter for it. Um, you could you could buy an altimeter on online or you could go and um, try to design your own PCB for it. There's lots of tutorials for how to do that. Um, and I mean, it really depends on, on what you want to do with your project too. Um, like the, the way that I'm steering bps.space and what I'm trying to do and like what the goals are is not the one way to do it that you could go um, a lot of people want to build their own rocket motors and you can do that there's lots of information online about doing that um, I do recommend that you find a strong mentor or a teacher to help you work with that um, sometimes people have been uh, people have actually been killed by uh, doing that the wrong way or some of the misinformation online. So I really recommend working with someone if you're trying to build your own rocket motors. But otherwise, it's pretty safe. Yeah, um, <laughs> good advice. <laughs> I, but anyway, yeah, yeah it's, it's, uh, it's like anything. You know, start with something simple and, and sort of work your way up. Yeah, awesome. And we should also uh, mention probably, uh, just to be on the safe side, um, that you should also check out what your national laws are around model rockets and that kind of thing. Where I am, where I'm based uh, over in the mm -hmm. UK, you're not allowed to make uh, your own rocket motors. But yeah, just just check out where you where you are um, and um, and make sure that you're you're following the guidelines set out by your national committees of model rocketry or whatever. Um, also. Just a quick uh, piggyback off of that. If you want the actual links to regulations for national or local regulations, um, I have a few of those on the website on the about page. That's just bps.space. Um, but the things you want to pay attention to, there are basically three major ones. Um, that's FAA 101, part 101. Yep. Covers model rockets. Um, that's the national regulation. And then you have less strict um, but really helpful regulations. The NAR publishes a model rocket safety code, or the MRSC. Um, that's a great thing to look at. And then the Tripoli Rocketry Association is another big one, and they have a, a rocketry safety code as well. Those are great uh, resources for making sure that you don't lose any limbs. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, well, I'll yeah. link that in the, uh, the description again and the article that goes along with this podcast so everyone can find out all the information that you need just there. So, Joe, what's the plan for the next year with BPS? Oh, there's tons of stuff, man. I'm so excited. Uh, there's so many cool things that are like in the works. So right now, um, the main, the two, the three main things that I'm focused on right now, one of them is the landing model rockets video series. So we're in the middle of that. Um, we just, um, I just designed the schematic for, um, two different flight computers that we're building for these landing rockets. Um, in the next episode, we're going to design the, the PCB. So the actual circuit board, I'm going to walk through how to do that, but so that's, that's one project, is the landing model rocket series. And then we've got um, ECHO, which is the landing test vehicle. So um, the ECHO vehicle gets dropped from a drone um, and roughly about like 30 meters up, uh, dropped from a drone, and then it does its best to try to land on the ground. Um, and oof, I, we're definitely going to land it in 2019. Like the sticking the landing will 
without a doubt, you can hold me to it, will happen in 2019. Nice. Um, yeah. And I'm, it's really looking good for like the next few months. Um, so we'll see. The landing is, uh, I'm pretty sure the landing is going to happen this year. Um, the, another big project that we've got going is the Falcon Heavy model. Um, the first flight was a partial failure or a partial success. I mean, however you want to class it. But, <laughs> class half full sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a partial success. Um, and so we have some uh, things to fix on the mechanical side and the center core. Um, and yeah, so that, that'll, that's coming up in a few months. Um, and then I'm really excited to start scaling up. I feel like um, there's a lot more room for advancement at the small scale. But at this point, I, f I feel comfortable moving into some, some larger vehicles. So the first thing is I'm working with um, a good friend of mine, Charlie, um, who's... <laughs> His, uh, his list of credentials is insane. But anyway, he's, he's a very talented engineer and he's working on the hardware. I'm working on the flight computer. We're building a reaction control thruster system for a high power rocket. Um, oh, right. And okay. so, right, yeah, right now it's just focused on pitch and yaw, but I think we're going to add a roll in the second generation of the, the, um, the system. The eventual goal is to uh, commercialize it, but right now it's just experimental. We want to try a lot of flights with something like this. Um, but it's this little tiny package that fits below the nose cone and steers the rocket um, as it screams through the atmosphere. And, you know, at, at some point you're going fast enough that thrust vector control is really hard and really unforgiving. So um, a cold gas thruster system with a CO2 paintball tank um, seemed like the right way to go. Wow. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's going to be cool. And then the last thing is... I am really slowly working toward, I think, maybe doing a liquid engine test campaign. Um, the thing with liquid engines is uh, they cost a tremendous amount of money to get working. It's really funny. It's like uh, they have the lowest recurring costs, so like propellant is not expensive, but they have the highest setup costs. So you need a massive test cell. You need uh, a bunker or like whatever, um, but I think really late in 2019, maybe 2020, we're going to try to get that set up um, and uh, with the eventual goal of flying it too. Um, but that's, you know, you got to have, you have to have ambitious goals and that's one of them. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, man, that sounds, that sounds like you're going places with, uh, with all of this. And I'm, well, we'll see. I'm so looking forward <laughs> to seeing how it goes and uh, yeah. yeah, best of luck with, with everything in, in uh, 2019 and beyond. Thanks. What, one final question, um, just to end this podcast on. What do you think the main value of model rocketry is for someone who wants to start out with it? I think it's a similar value to um, model aircraft or model airplanes or, or uh, multi-rotors. Yeah. Um, I think the same value is like when I can think back to being a kid and playing with model rockets or working on, I mentioned the first robotics competition earlier, working on robots to compete in a competition with my friends. Like, um, I think just getting your hands on, like being able to do engineering and observe the changes that you make have an effect on the performance of the vehicle or who knows what. It's just hands-on learning, at least for me, and in my experience, this is not like a, this, this is an opinion, it's not objective, but Hands-on learning is, I think, the most effective way to get um, to to learn something. If you if you can have a tool that you can play with and modify and work with as you're learning 
how to how rockets work or how an airplane works. If you can, um, you know, adjust the flight controller in your airplane and see if the autopilot works or whatever. Um, Hands-on learning is just so effective. It's it's how I learn best for sure. It's not how everyone learns best, but um, an understanding, even if the concepts are, are really hard to grasp, um, if you can have a tool to work with, um, I think that's really helpful. So model rockets, um, let's, I'll like bring it home here. Model rockets are not actually model rockets. They're darts. Um, and you can learn a few concepts about aerodynamics and stability like that, but um, fundamentally they, they work and they look a lot different than the way these real vehicles are, are going to space. Um, and so my super long-term hope is that adding uh, technologies like thrust vector control to these rockets, you know, once, once it gets really smoothed out, um, I, think, I think we end up with a generation of scientists and engineers um, who are better prepared for the real aerospace aerospace industry. Um, that's a really lofty goal. But like, I think that's the ultimate outcome here is it's it's just so helpful to have tools like these to work with when you're learning new concepts. Um, and yeah, that's, that's kind of what it is. Amazing. Yeah. And I've got a big smile on my face right now because I can't wait to see that happen. And I think that, yeah, the stuff that you're doing is um, pretty uh, awe-inspiring, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. I mean, the same goes for the flight you know, the flight test stuff, like the, all of the content that you guys put out is, is so helpful. Even if, and as, as I mentioned earlier, like, even if you're not directly doing model planes, um, it helps me with the rocketry stuff. So it's, um, I guess if we can like just hit this point one more time overkill, but like share your work, um, put it online. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I shall echo that. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll address the listener directly here. Go and share your stuff. Um, and yeah, inspire some other people. So yeah, that yeah. just about wraps everything up. Um, do you want to let people know where they can find your stuff, Joe? So best place is, uh, like a good jumping off point is literally to go to Google Chrome or Safari or I mean, whatever you use um, and just, just in your browser, bps.space. Um, that'll take you to the website. There's links to all of the different stuff where I do Instagram stories for like live updates. I've got a Twitter page on there. Um, this, that most people seem to gravitate towards the YouTube channel, um, which is helpful, especially given that this is Flight Test, which is a YouTube channel, but um, it's a whole lot more than that. Anyway, yeah, the YouTube channel, it's all it's all bps.space and all of these different platforms. You'll, you'll be able to figure it out. You guys are smart. <laughs> cool. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and um, best of luck with everything in the future. Um, we're, we're all looking forward to seeing what you come up with. Yeah, thank you so much for having me and you, you as well. That was the Flight Test Podcast this week. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to help us get noticed on iTunes by rating us. If you'd like to let us know where we can be doing better as well, um, you can send me an email. My email address is james at flighttest.com. Um, or you can go to uh, the Flight Test forums and go to the thread um, that's titled, uh, I think it's called Official flight test podcasts thread or something like that um, and you can go there uh, and suggest topics and guests and whoever you'd like to hear us talk to um, so yeah thanks again for listening thanks for being part of the community and thanks to Skillshare for sponsoring this podcast 
We will see you again for another episode in two weeks' time, as per usual. See you then.